You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, welcome back to Man Coverage. I am Mike Payton of Pride of Detroit. We've got a very special guest today. Very, very special. A couple weeks ago, we had an Emmy Award winning guest when we had Tori Petri on. This week, we've got a Golden Globe winner. We've got a, a, a Nobel Prize winning astrophysicist. Uh, we've got a man who uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson once said was his inspiration. Ladies and gentlemen, our fearless leader, star of Mad Men, <laughs> managing editor of Pride of Detroit, Jeremy Reisman. Jeremy, thank you for coming on the pod today. Thanks for having me. I think someone may have been messing with my Wikipedia page that doesn't actually exist because I think some of those credits might be slightly misleading. Right. Well, Neil deGrasse Tyson didn't say that verbatim, but yeah. he certainly alluded to it. That's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. All right. I'll, I'll take it. All right. You, uh, so you and I have known each other for, you know, I've been in this game for, for six years, and this is my fourth year at Pride of Detroit. I've known you for a little bit beyond that, but still, you are a mystery to me. <laughs> and that is why I have you on today's pod, because there is so much about you that I feel like no one knows. And I don't know if you're hiding it on purpose. I don't know if you killed somebody in the past. <laughs> if you're out on the lamb, you're certainly doing a bad job of it because <laughs> you're putting your face everywhere. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, let's obviously, you know what we're going to do. We're going to start from the beginning. So take us back to when little Jeremy was a boy. Sure. Uh, where do you originate from? What are your origins? Well, I'm I'm a local guy. I, I grew up in in Metro Detroit. Um, grew up a, a Lions fan from from the get go. Sports fan from the get go. My my dad had season tickets before I was born. Um, we went to games every every week. So, you know, from a very very young age, sports was was my thing. And uh, it wasn't necessarily my thing right away when it comes to professionally. And and I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But as a kid, you know, sports was everything to me. I didn't have a lot of interests outside of sports. I uh, played soccer. I was really good at soccer. Uh, moved to tennis when I got into high school. Um, football, I tried. I was too small. I was, I was a short kid. And so I, I played a little football in middle school. But by played, I mean they, they stuck me on what they, they called the fifth and sixth quarters, which was a real thing for, for our school um, in that – after the game was over, we would play two exhibition quarters for everyone who didn't get to play. And that's basically what I, and they stuck me at safety, which is where basically you can do the least amount of damage because everyone runs the ball in high school and basically no, no runs ever make it to the secondary. So you're just like, Oh, just stand out there. And it's like playing center field and T-ball. Like you're put there for a reason. What high school was this? 
uh in Detroit middle school day. Th- this was <laughs> yeah yeah let's <laughs> let's go with that cook <laughs> middle school for for all you doesn't even exist anymore but cook middle school okay Cook Middle School, wow. yeah. and that's in that's a Metro Detroit then, or Northville or was in Metro Detroit. If you guys want to stalk okay. me, Northville, Michigan is where I grew up. Northville, Michigan. All right, let's uh, let's write that down. What's your social security number, by the way? Uh, it, it's somewhere in the in the three hundred thousands, I think. Just work your way from there. <laughs> All right, sure. So, was it always football then, or that you had your main interest in, or did you? You know, did you like, you know, for me, it was basketball growing up. I was obsessed with basketball and football was something that I loved, but not nearly as much uh, as I do now. So what was it for you early on? In terms of watching sports, it was always football. Um, I think it was just because my dad, that was the the sport my dad was passionate about. Um, Barry Sanders was obviously my idols. As a short kid, he was like, wow, I could play. I could play football. This guy is short. I'm short. Like. I got this in the bag. I'm, I'm, I got everything else that he's got. I, you know, I got agility. I, I, okay. I don't have any, any strength, but you know, uh, a guy like that really made strides in, in bringing my fandom to, to what it is today. And, and yeah, I think, I think just kind of having that natural bond with, with my dad <clears throat> made it a lot easier to, to be drawn to, to football. Um, basketball was never my thing because it was a tall man's game and I was short. Um, hockey, grew as as the, the Red Wings got better in, in my young teenager years. Um I started to like hockey a lot as well. Never never really played it though because I, I didn't wasn't a good ice skater. So I don't know. Football was always my thing. I, I wasn't bad at it when we're just talking two hand touch in the backyard, but um obviously when you know the pads were on that that was not my game. And so I, I still I at, at that point I think I kind of focused my attention on just learning more about the game and learning more about the intricacies. And and that's one of my favorite things about football is that it's such an intricate game. It's just even when you feel like you've learned a lot about the game, you know that there's a depth of the game that you don't understand whether I mean even even players, right? Even players say that there's such a high learning curve when you get into the NFL because it's a completely different game. So for someone who only played and and in quotations played middle school football, I'm still trying to learn more and more about this game as as I grow older and and I don't think I'm close yet. No, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've been doing this for six years and, and I could, I, there's so many things I couldn't tell you about football. Yeah. I mean, if anybody tried to ask me about uh, you know, how to run certain plays or how, you know, a defense is lined up in, in a certain special way, I would not be able to tell them. I, I just, that, that is just a part of the game that I have not been able to learn. Um, I just, I just blank it out basically. But um, to me, that's, I, I know that's, I, I, I <laughs> that's the fun part for me. Like just being able to yeah. dig and dig and dig. There's, there's 22 guys on the field at once and everyone's got a really specific role and hand usage and foot placement and all that sort of stuff and it's just it's really fun to me because once you once you learn more you see the game entirely different you you feel like you you understand things um and why players are doing this why the lines defense is horrible like all those sort of things you kind of learn what's happening why coaches are making certain decisions why certain players are struggling and um like i said i I still feel like i'm just kind of scratching the surface but uh, it's always exciting for me when you you find a topic that's so detailed so deep in its knowledge that um you know you can put hours and hours and days and days and into it and and still find more things to, to to find yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm like that with statistics. Uh, I could dig and dig and dig for hours and hours. And, um, 
you know, like, like I did that thing with the third quarter or, or not the, with the turnovers last week, I did the thing with the turnovers last week. That took me like two days to do. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I don't know why I enjoy this because I hated numbers growing up, <laughs> but today I absolutely love them. Yeah. Um, so, so you, now if I'm, I might be mistaken here. You went to the University of Michigan. Is that correct? That is true. And what did you study there? I studied psychology. I it wasn't journalism. It was not journalism. It was psychology. Yeah. I was, you know, I, I've always kind of struggled with identity in general. And so my educational identity was something I, I struggled with from the get go. I was always really good at math. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I'm, I'm now in writing and I, I think about it all the time. My SAT score. I scored an 800 on the math part, which is perfect. And I scored a 510 on the the writing English part, which is bad. It's not good. Um, And I think maybe that eventually proved as a motivator for me to like overcome that sort of thing. Because math, I was good at. I was just never really that interested in numbers and, and, you know, crunching. And I don't know, maybe maybe the educational system failed in, in motivating me there. But so I went into University of Michigan not really knowing what I was doing. I I. I, I knew I had a love for sports, but I didn't really see an avenue, a realistic avenue for me to get involved in it in any way, whether it was writing, maybe because of my own self-doubt there or, you know, I'm, I'm not a great public speaker. Um, so, you know, broadcasting wasn't something I was all that interested in. So I just kind of wandered. I, I just remember I was taking all sorts of different courses in, through my first couple of years there. I took an astronomy course. I took a film course, just trying to find something that that's, that fit and I did what a lot of people do at University of Michigan and really elsewhere. And it's just like, well, I'll just settle for psychology. That seems interesting, learning to know people. And I think part of it was I wanted to learn myself a little bit. And so I felt like maybe learn, you know, taking a bunch of psychology courses would help me there. Um, and, you know, I eventually went into that field a little bit after college, but it was never something I was extremely passionate about. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. So you went into that field and, and what did you do? Yeah. Um, so I originally, um, thanks to uh, a family friend, I got an internship at a place called the Hope Center over in uh, in, in Metro Detroit. Um, it was a place where children with autism um, went to school basically in a one-on-one format. I w- I, you'd basically be kind of like a, a mentor, a tutor. Um, you, you teach behavioral um, psychology, basically. So, you know, teaching them to act appropriate, teaching them maybe to, to speak verbally or, or use um, verbal cues or, or visual cues to communicate because a lot of these kids weren't nonverbal, um, were nonverbal, I should say. Um, and, and one thing that I've always kind of enjoyed, you know, really from raising, helping, you know, babysit my, my young cousins is working with kids. That's, that's one thing that I've always really enjoyed doing. And so that was, that was a nice outlet for that for a while. I, I eventually, you know, was a, a part-time worker there. Um, and so I, that's where I kind of, my, my thir- first three, four, five years out of college, I really focused on um, working with children with autism. It was something that was definitely rewarding in a lot of ways. It's, it's exhausting work, um, but kind of being able to, to work with kids in, in you know, a, a way that I felt was helping the community was something that that was was right for me when I when I got out of college. It, it might not have been the, the thing I was most passionate about, but it was something that I felt good doing. I, th- I think I was pretty good at it. I, I think I have a, a good way of connecting with children. And so it was something that that I was enjoying for the time being. It, it's just something that 
unfortunately, it, it, it's such tough work. And I, I know anyone in, in the psychology field, in the in the autism field will, will say the same. It, it's exhausting work. It's, it, it takes a toll on you. And, and people that are able to do it long term, I, I tip my hat to them because it really is tough. It's 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 I don't want to say impossible work, but it takes a certain type of person. And I'm not I, I won't say that I'm not that type of person, but I it, I needed a break at some point. And, and so after after five years and, and I'm, I'm leaving out a big part of the story, which was me moving to California. And I'm, uh, we can get into that in a second. But I was doing it out there as well. But after after four or five years in that field, I just I needed a break from it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I agree. It is. It's definitely uh, now I, I was on the learning end of this sort of thing. I was in special ed all through high school, all through junior high, elementary school. I grew up with a learning disability, and obviously I have, you know, uh, many other, a plethora of mental issues, uh, a nice cocktail. Uh, so, you know, I commend you for, for that, Jeremy. I, you know, I never knew that you had done that, but that's, you know, that's awesome. Um, and I could totally understand how it could be a uh, an exhausting, exhausting uh, career. So, yeah, I don't blame you for, for getting out of it. Um, is there any chance you might go back to that world? It's something I always kind of think about. Um, it's something that, that, like I said, I, I feel I was pretty good at. Um, it's it's not a community that I that I want to turn my back on completely. It's it's something that I, I always kind of keep an eye on. There there are a lot of people in in the local community. Freddie the Pizza Man is is a guy who who deals with autism. I've talked to him about it a lot. So I'd like to go and, and support those communities in any way that we can. The, the great news is that we've made incredible strides since you know I, I last worked. It, it's been about a decade since I was in that line of work and. We, we've seen, you know, concerted effort and in, in awareness and in, in treatment. And so I, I want to keep abreast of all those things. I want to keep in touch with some of the families that I worked with in California uh, and in ways I do just to see how they're doing. Um, it, it's it's promising where, where things are headed. And, and I definitely don't want to turn my back on that in, in any sort of way. And, you know, who knows where where my, my career goes now, the, the journalism or whatever football media's side of things is... is it's a tricky business. It's nothing's guaranteed. We see a bunch of layoffs all the time. So uh, it, it's always in the back of my mind in, in returning in some sort of way. I don't know if it'd be as a, as a direct behavioral therapist like I was before, but um, it's something that I'm definitely keeping in mind as, as you know, the future is uncertain. Yeah, we definitely, uh, definitely chose some interesting career paths here <laughs> with the journalism thing. I, it's, uh, it, it could be hard. Um, yeah. I don't think people understand uh, what it's like from our end. Um, yeah, I think there are people who obviously get what it's like to to be searching for a job, but uh, we're kind of like on the outside looking in constantly. Um, and uh, I know that I have rejection has is something that is uh, is my best friend at this point. I, are you are you have you openly tried to? to move past Pride of Detroit into something a little bit more uh, traditional, like a newspaper? Uh, A little bit. Probably not as much as I should, but I don't know. I mean, I got into the whole business just kind of almost by accident, you know, at the time after I kind of decided to move on from, from working with children with autism, I I was again, wandering. I I took up a job at at a dog daycare center in which I, in a manner of two years became the manager of the entire place. Um, and, and so that was a weird portion of my life. But at, at that point I was like, well, I like football. Let's just kind of start writing about it for fun. And, and really I started in 2008. I started, uh, 
I, I, I worked with a, a website called Study of Sports, which doesn't exist and, and barely existed in the first place, um, where I just kind of just kind of wrote to, to help me cope with the Lions 2008 season. You know, that happens to be their own eight, own 16 season. And, and from there, you know, I, I moved a little bit to the Pride of Detroit, you know, uh, fan post section where I was just kind of posting irregularly, like every now and then. And, and people seemed to like it. So I, I continued to do it. and. <clears throat> You know, eventually it just kind of came to be like Sean, who who started the site, was like, hey, we like your stuff. Do you mind if I, I start putting some of it on the front page? And I'm like, sure, let's do that. And then eventually I'm like, hey, any chance I could like just become a member? And he's like, yeah, let's do that. And then, you know, I wasn't getting paid much. I was basically I think it was like 50 bucks a month. It was beer money, that sort of stuff. So it was never something I even at that point really considered as as a full time job. But at the same time, I was enjoying it so much. that I was like, I just got to keep doing this like keep creating content. I know, I know you're not getting like that initial, that, that, you know, feedback in, in terms of, of money, in terms of whatever, but I'm just like, I enjoy doing this. So I'm going to keep doing it. And if I'm not getting the page views, if I'm not getting the money, that's fine because I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. And that's really the best way. If, you know, not that you asked of any advice on how to get in this business. I think it's just that it's just keep creating, keep doing what you want, keep learning and and that's what it worked out for me. So when Sean stepped down five years ago and, and was looking for a replacement for the site, I was the first name on his list. And and so to answer your original question, you know, what have I reached out and 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 looked beyond Pride of Detroit? The answer is mostly no. And and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because I feel like I I'm still suffering from imposter syndrome. I'm I still feel like I didn't get a journalism degree. I'm I'm working for a sports blog. You know, I'm not I'm not an objective writer. I you know, there are a lot of things in terms of journalism that I don't do. I don't have a ton of context. I'm not Ian Rappaport here breaking a lot of news. And, um, you know, I haven't written a ton of like personal stories and, and bios of players. And I'm still kind of, you know, reaching out and, 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 kind of flexing that that muscle of, of trying to write personal stories because I've always been more of a fan of, of the strategy of the game. And so kind of that personal thing is something I'm still working on. But then there's also a lot of really comfy things about Pride of Detroit that I love. I love that they give me the freedom to write about whatever I want. I can do silly name brackets. I can start a Twitch channel and play video games with, with you know, Graham Glasgow. Like, you don't see a lot of people all in on newspapers doing that sort of content. So I love the freedom. I love, like, the the creativity that I have and and not saying that you know newspapers don't allow for creativity they they do I think more than than you see I just I love the freedom that I have I love our crew that we have at Pride of Detroit I love kind of the culture that we've created at Pride of Detroit so I'm happy with where we're where we're at as as a site as a reputation and all that sort of stuff I am I am obviously always looking for for things to expand upon so you know I think eventually I'll get to a point where I'm like okay I'm comfortable with where I'm at at Pride of Detroit let's look what the next step is. Um, I haven't, I haven't taken that step yet, but I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. And, and eventually I think I'll get there. All right. Well, I, you know, I want to explore something that you said in there a little bit more, but, but first let's take a quick break.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Welcome back to uh, Man Coverage. I'm with... Our fearless leader, managing editor, Jeremy Reisman today. Uh, before we went on the break, you had mentioned something that that I personally feel all the time, and it's imposter syndrome. Yeah. I kind of want to explore that a little bit because I, I feel the same exact way that you do a lot of the times, especially when, when we're on the road or you know I, I walk into an NFL stadium and it's like, what am I doing here? How did I get to this place? How, why did they let me in here? It's so <laughs> weird. Um but then, you know, I also have a lot of issues reading other people's articles because, you know, I'll read somebody uh, from Sports Illustrated or something. And within the first paragraph, I'm like, man, I suck at this. Like, I am, I am not good because, you know, some, some writers are just able to, uh, you know, they pull you in with the words, that, you know, like uh, there's always these situations in the beginning of these articles where they're explaining like uh, they're in a room with their, their subject and they're explaining everything that's happening in the room and how the, the sun shade is, yeah. is beaming off of his blah, blah, blah. I could never do that. Yeah. I could never do that. And I'm just curious, um, you know, what, what, what is it that you feel that you're an imposter for? I mean, it's a lot of things. It's, it's, it's that like the, the being able to really, describe a, a an environment and paint a picture is something that again I, I i don't i don't think i'm i'm up to par in those skills it's um having never played the game it's like i said you know the depth of knowledge of football is something i'm still learning um there, there are a lot of people in this business that that do a really good job of understanding the game and asking good questions it's another thing ask, asking questions in press conferences like there's an art to that there's an art to it in, in a way that you you can you can ask questions, but to get the answer you're seeking, you have to ask it in a specific way. You have to be respectful. You have to be clear in what you're asking. Um, you ha- there are a lot of th- questions that you want the answer to that you know you're not going to get, um, especially with, with a guy like Matt Patricia. He's not going to give a lot of, of strategic things away. But in terms of, Absolutely. you know, if, if you can kind of propose your question in a specific way, sometimes you can, you can kind of catch him off guard or, or, or get him to admit something that maybe he doesn't realize he's admitting or saying or stuff like that. So all that sort of stuff, it, it's stuff that you kind of just, you, you eventually learn on the job. And it's something that I think the, the, the greatest thing for me really has been being on the beat, being in that, being in Allen Park and every day and, and, and talking to some of the guys that are on this beat because they're going through some of the same things too. I think imposter syndrome is incredibly, incredibly familiar. I mean, you've, we, we've, I've heard from some of the guys you've talked to today and, you know, like, like Kyle Monkey kind of, he took a huge jump into like sports in, in, you know, not having a ton of experience. He goes in and, and sees an almost perfect game. That's his first assignment. And so you're, you're kind of thrown into it and that's, that's how you got to learn in this business. And, and, and really a lot of businesses, I think when you come out of college, you're not coming out with a lot of experience in whatever field you're going in. And so you feel like you don't belong there. And I think me not having a journalism degree also kind of adds to all that. So I think, I think when, when I, 
have those days of when I'm feeling inadequate or I'm feeling like I don't belong. I just have to remember that so many people are going through that same thing. And yeah, it, it it's it's silly and, and maybe it's not always appropriate, but I think fake it fake it till you make it is really kind of smart. It it makes sense. And in in the sense, I think like I I probably faked my my knowledge of the game a little bit when I when I went in there and and maybe in some aspects I still am. But one thing that I always also try to do is admit when I don't know, because that's something that I think some people don't do. And and maybe that's part of the faking it till you making it thing. But um, there's also a certain strength into admitting that you don't know things because there's a lot in this business that you don't know. So um, it, it's it's a delicate balance of having enough confidence to write on a, a subject that maybe you're not 100 percent clear on. Um, but at the same time, admitting like never lie, never write something in and in, in such a i want to say such a fervent manner so such a you're sure never be so sure of anything in this business because it'll humble you in a second you think you know what's going to happen on a sunday it doesn't happen on a sunday and you look like an idiot so i try to avoid you know writing in absolutes um but yeah i i've I've been very rambly in this podcast and I've already forgotten what the original question was, but Oh, imposter syndrome. Yeah. It, it's just something you have to deal with every day and realize that every, everyone's going through it. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree that to, to some extent, you know, I look at uh, Dave Burkett, Mike O'Hara, who's been on the beat for a hundred years. Uh, these guys, I mean, they just look like they're just cool as cucumbers, man. Um, yeah. I, I, when I ask a question, uh, I raise my hand and I feel like everybody in the room is like, oh, geez, stupid blog guy is going to ask a dumb question that, that Patricia is not going to answer. And uh, my heart's beating really fast and I'm yeah. trembling and I stutter right out of the gate on the question. And uh, yeah, but uh, just sort of add to what you what you were saying there with the, uh, you know, admit that you don't know. I would if there's any anybody on here who wants to write, I would also suggest that to admit when you're wrong too, because you're going to be wrong a lot. As you mentioned, you're going to be wrong a lot, especially when it comes to predicting game scores. Like people try to, uh, freezing cold takes me all the time. Like, (laughs) come on, man. Did you really, I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing almost 90% of the time of what is going to happen because I don't know. I can't tell the future. (laughs) I never will be able to. There's no absolute. You're absolutely right. And the, the um, game of football is so, just like, it's so random too. So I feel like it's something that no one really likes to admit. Like there's, there's people that, you know, whether you wait, you bet on games or what, they think there's like a formula to figuring out what's going to happen on Sundays. But the, the ultimate truth is that there's so much randomness that that's involved, whether it's officiating, whether it's a bounce of a fumble, all those things take into effect and, and it'll make you look silly. You have to, you have to realize you're going to look silly yeah. in this business a lot. Yeah, that's why I don't take into account things like, well, you know, uh, he's really good on turf, so right. watch out for him. He's good. he's going to run for two hundred yards today because he's good on turf. <laughs> but that doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. Uh, so yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Um, well, okay, so I want to I want to also you know before we get to the point of the podcast where we talk about the Lions, we have to talk about Mad Men. I mean, you, we got to do it because. I don't know anybody else that's been on TV, Jeremy, <laughs> especially such a uh, landmark show like Mad Men was, uh, you know, several awards. Uh, obviously, it's, you know, considered to be one of the 
best shows of all time. The golden age of television. Sure. Like yeah. this, this, like not to continue to beat the dead horse here, but like Mad Men is probably the reason that we have shows like Breaking Bad and the reason that we have TV the way it is right now. Like <laughs> you get yeah. that. Like Mad Men sort of brought all that back. So take me back to to young Jeremy talking to his agent. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't it didn't quite work out like that. So this was like literally that period between my life where I, I just decided I didn't want to work with children with autism anymore. I was searching for my next job and I was in Los Angeles. That's where I was living. So I'm just like, well, I know a quick way to, to earn money to, to kind of, you know, survive out here, which is, you know, the cost of living there is insane, uh, was to do extra work. And so I, I went to Central Casting, which is just kind of this normal place where you, you fill out a, a form that says your skills, what sort of thing you look. You, you take, you give them a quick headshot, and then you just kind of sit and wait. And they have a call-in line. Basically, you call in this line, and they say, "Hey, we're looking some for someone between 20 and 23 for this 70s look that you know, um, you know." It, they don't tell you the show. Sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't. Um, they're just like, we're looking for this type of person. A, a male, white, can play tennis, can ice skate, like all that sort of thing. And and so I call into this hotline. They're like, it's a set piece. We're looking for a young, white, 20-something character. And I'm just like, well, okay. So I'm I'm literally in my 20s. I have this crazy Jufro that I think could totally pass as a 70s Afro. Let, let's call. And, and I call. I, I leave a message. I tell them my little casting ID and they call me back. And that means essentially I'm in. So I go in, I go in for one day. They, they, I go to costumes and they, they find a nice costume for me to wear. Um, and they, they put it on hold. And then I come back a couple days later and, and they're filming the scene that's supposed to be behind the scenes of a Rolling Stones concert. And I'm just like, I'm walking in the background there pretending like, you know, TV show magic. I'm pulling the curtain behind a little bit. When you see people talking in the background, you hear all this mumbling. That noise is all put in afterwards. It's like the fake fans in in a football game right now. Um, we're just we're miming right. essentially. Added in post. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And and it was an intro. It was literally the only time I ever did extra work. I, I found my, my job at the dog place shortly thereafter, and it just so happened to be for one of the best shows uh, on TV. And the the coolest story I, I can pull from it because. It, if, if I'm being completely honest, extra work is pretty boring. You're sitting around most of the day not doing anything. But the cool story about it, it was this... I don't remember... The the, episode, the name of the episode was Tea Leaves. It was directed by John Hamm, who was obviously the star of the show. Um, it was one of the first episodes I think he uh, he directed. It may have been the first. But so he get At one point, he gets all of the extras together and, and he talks to him. He says, listen, we weren't going to tell you this because we didn't want you guys to get too excited and, and unfocused, but... Um, the Rolling Stones are here. Like we're going to actually have them here. You guys are going to kind of watch like a Rolling Stones concert. It's going to be crazy. And then you could hear everyone go like, oh my God, wow. Like, and, and some people are like screaming, like, this is awesome. This is cool. I just expected to do a boring day of extra work. And then he goes, okay, I want you to use the energy you just gave me because the Rolling Stones aren't here, but you're going to have to pretend like they're here. So go ahead and use that energy and run down this hallway with that exact energy. And I just thought that was that was a really funny. I don't I don't know if it worked, but I thought it was a really funny way to kind of loosen up uh, loosen up the extras. And then Ham said, uh, "You with the with the Jew fro, I I see something in you. I, I need. I don't you. know what it is, but I, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> this kid's got something, man. <laughs> I, and uh, they want to do they put you as a regular series regular, but you're like, ah, yeah, I got this dog thing going on. So yeah, I you know, do it, right? <laughs> it was we were in some contract disputes for a couple months, and and it looked like it was going to sure. work at one point, but you know what? It, it I just they they lowballed me. John Ham lowballed me. Yeah, no, that's tough business, man. I, I, I get it. You know, the dog place came in with a higher, higher offer, and you oh, got to yeah. do what you got to do. So, if anybody wants to watch that, that's uh, episode three of uh, of season five. I there think it's go. probably about midway through. You could see Jeremy at least twice. Yeah, you can't miss that hair. It's <laughs> you cannot miss it. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I just think that's cool. I, I. I tried to be a, a filmmaker at, at one point in time. I wrote a script. Uh, I was in discussions with with a with a movie studio, a, a very small, very very small movie studio that was producing very very bad movies, uh, and it never it never uh, obviously never took. So they 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 and I read the script back like a couple of years ago, and it was really bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kind of sort of glad that uh, that I never wound up in the movies, but was it? Was anyways, it called, was it called Threat Level Midnight by any chance? No. Okay. So, all right. I you know I've never really told too many people about this. Okay, this is what the movie was. It was called No Sleep Till Rent's Paid. All right. So the idea of the film was that uh, it was it was sort of it was I felt like it was going to be a good Apatow movie. You know, <laughs> it was going to be a bunch of young guys. Everybody, uh, you know, it, it, they're in dire situations and they need money to pay rent. So they take uh, part in this sleep deprivation experiment. Uh, basically, there was this new pill created that was going to be somewhat like five hour energy. Like, forget five hour energy. This is 24 hour energy. Like, so, so we needed to take these pills uh, and, and they we're going to study us for weeks and then hilarity ensues uh there was going to be a whole bunch of stuff uh dream sequences because i found out that if you stay awake long enough you start having what's called micro naps Mm -hmm. um and in those micro naps you 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 dream even though you're actually you know appear to be awake so we were going to explore that and there was going to be some you're you're giving away your million dollar idea right now (laughs) uh well actually i'm not because you know what no sleep till rent's paid is copywritten and i do still own i do still (laughs) own the copyright and i am still a member of of the writers guild of america because i (laughs) i uh i have a friend who who is a director in detroit or well she was kind of more of a uh it's just somebody I know, I guess. She directed a movie called Detroit uh, Unleaded. It's a gr- it's a good movie. I recommend everybody watch it. She she recommended that I that copyrighted the uh, the movie with the government as well as the WGA. So I had to join the Writers Guild of America. So any Hollywood people listening, I I'm a writer. Hire me. Uh, all right. Anyways, let's start talking about the Lions. Sure, Jeremy. What the hell is going on? Well, Let's you know that there. part where I said I'm not smart enough to know everything about football yet? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, what? I don't know what's there to say that hasn't been said already. Um, we, we gave Matt Patricia all the time. I think we all agreed to three years is more than enough to, to build the culture, to get the talent that you need to run the kind of defense that you want. And the defense is worse than ever. So, um, 
you know, the, the players aren't aren't playing as well as, as they should be. The scheme doesn't do what it's designed to do, which is stop the run. And I don't know. I mean, it, it just at this point, nothing's working defensively. Offensively, the, the team is sputtering a little bit, but still probably about average. But that's not good enough when you're giving up 35 points a game. So I don't know, man. It, it, it's it's a bleak outlook right now, and it, it's hard to imagine it getting turned around this year. And if it doesn't get turned around this year, then you know the other side of it is even more terrifying because then we're talking about a rebuild, and then we're talking about a new GM, a new coach, maybe even a new quarterback starting from ground zero again here. And we went through that in 2009, and it took us three years to get to where we needed to be to be contenders to be contenders on a weekly basis. And so now we're talking about 2023, 2024 before this team gets to back where they were with, with Jim Caldwell. And I, if that doesn't terrify you, I don't know what should. It's, it's been a really interesting transition. And I sort of wrote about this in, uh, in, in today's column, we're recording this on a Tuesday. So you probably, if you've probably already read this column, if you read prior to Detroit stuff, but basically, uh, you know, I, I look at it in phases. So Jim Schwartz was the t- was the guy that dug this team out of the grave, right? Yep. He made he made them a competitive team that you know could put put up some points and stuff. Okay, so Jim Caldwell comes on and and he was charged with with furthering their that advance. It's a, he made them a, a, an even more competitive team, a team you expected to win, a team that could compete with the best teams in the league. Patricia was supposed to be the guy that just took them over the hump and made them a, at the very least, a divisional champion caliber team. Right. What do you think has gone wrong? And I'm not necessarily asking, you know, hey, uh, evaluate the players, that sort of thing. What has gone wrong from like a fundamental point with, with Patricia and Quinn? And I mean, it's easy to say that they've been maybe snake bitten by certain injuries, but I, I don't know how you can't, you just can't, you just can't give them that, that leg up anymore. Like they have screwed up everything to a point where it, we are worse than we were. In, I mean, we're the 2009 lions basically again, like how yeah. did this happen? Well, I mean, if you kind of go in that progression you were talking about, Jim Schwartz to Jim Caldwell to to Matt Patricia, it was a, it was always kind of an upward trajectory, right? Like Jim Caldwell took over after Jim Schwartz. You know, he he got this team to the playoffs once, and and yeah, towards the end of his his Lions career, Jim Schwartz had had run his course. You know, he he got this team in a place where they could potentially win the division, and then it collapsed, and and it kind that kind of became a thing with him. Is just like. These like collapse, and then Jim Caldwell comes in and brings a sense of stability to the team. You know, they they don't go through these waves of like looking really, really good, then really, really bad. They're kind of just like there. They're 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 playing fifty fifty ball every week. They're they're winning somewhere between seven and nine games, maybe an eleven there, maybe a, a six here there, whatever. Um, but he brought stability, and then you're like, okay, we got stability. Our, our franchise is good here. We just need that next step. And instead of like taking what he got, and, and you referred to this in your column, and I did a little bit in, in one that I wrote earlier in the week, he tore everything down. And I get it, it from a certain standpoint, like this team had plateaued. It seemed like they still weren't getting it. We, we still hadn't seen that, that elusive playoff win. We were still seeing players get lionized. You know, Calvin Johnson left during the Caldwell area. Um, 
we're still seeing players frustrated and and Detroit was still viewed as a joke. So I think at the time there were a lot of Lions fans that are like, yeah, tear this bitch down. Like we need, we need a new start here. We need a new culture here. We need this hardworking, no nonsense guy. But when it came to the the actual talent and it came to the actual culture inside the team, I don't think it was ever that bad. I think when, when Caldwell got fired, I know most people want it to happen. I wanted another year out of Caldwell. I wanted to see what another year of more talent infused in that roster could do. And maybe it works, maybe it didn't work. Um, but I would have liked to see it play out um, because, you know, you, you can say like there, there are these guys like Glover Quinn and Darius Slay who are all all this talk now and they're, they're all about this drama and the Lions did need that infused out or, you know, defused out of their roster. Um, but the problem with what Patricia has done is that he's decided that that culture is more important to him than the talent. Um, where we got rid of some very talented players and instead of working with them, instead of trying to find a way that you can use their talents in, in his system, he decided, well, no, let me just go with the Patriots cast off. Let me just go with the guys I'm sure of that have played in this system might not be as, as purely talented as these guys may not be, um, you know, athletically what, what seems to work in today's NFL, but he's what I know, and he, I know when he comes in here, he's not going to rock the boat. I know he's going to like me as a person and buy in. To me, that that was always the most important thing for Patricia is the buy-in. Like once everyone buys into my system, then it's going to start working. Unfortunately, when you do that, you you leave out a bunch of talent. You ostracize some of the people that were already in, there in the building that led this team to, to back-to-back nine and seven seasons and, and playoffs in two out of four years. Um, and, and you hit the reset button hard. And when you do that, suddenly you're looking for a very small collective group of players that, that might work and might not work. And so that's why we're seeing all this Patriots infused guys, because they're guys he's comfortable with, these guys he's know the, that are going to buy in. But all the other guys, all the rookies and stuff, they're going through some struggles. All the guys that aren't tied to him directly, you know, Justin Coleman is a guy who barely played under him and, and hasn't played up to par when he's in Detroit. None of that seems to work. And, you know, on top of that, you know, I, I think Patricia is is living in a decade, three years past. You know, I think he's living in an era in which running the football and stopping the run was king. But now we're past that. Now we're to a point where you need to spread it out. You need to attack. You need to be aggressive on offense and on defense. You got to get a pass rush going. But that's not how he thinks football is won. He thinks as long as he gets his guys that, that knows his system and knows um, – and, and believes in what he's doing, it'll all work. But I'm not sure even that's true. It, none of it's working at this point, period. You know, even even what he's trying to do, his vision isn't working because they aren't stopping the run. But even if they were, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that would be working. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's textbook narcissism. I, I mean, it's exactly what I wrote about in that column. Again, um, it, it's, it seems so easily fixable. You, you have talented players that can rush the passer but you don't want them to you have talented players that can do things outside of man coverage but you don't want them to you have a quarterback that can throw the ball a a quarter mile he could throw it out of the damn stadium but you don't want him to you have running backs that can't run but you want them to it's 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 uh he refuses to to make any sort of adjustment that would allow the team to win because he, he it's like he just magically thinks it's going to happen at some point. It's just going to click. 
and it's going to happen. And I think it's destroying the team. I, I, I think that, you know, we're going to be in a situation where, I mean, you know, like, like we said, we don't want to talk in absolutes, but let's just go ahead and guess that Matthew, or excuse me, not Matthew Stafford, but Matt Patricia is gone after this season. Bob Quinn too, probably. Let's just go ahead and, and assume that's going to happen for a moment. Now you're stuck with guys like Trey Flowers, Vitae, um, Jamie Collins, uh, help me out. There's probably more guys that are under very, very large contracts for uh, for an, a, a number of years who only work out in one system, and it's the system that is in New England and that that is under Bill Belichick. I mean, we've seen it a million times. We've seen players leave Bill Belichick, go to a different team, and and fail. I mean, Jamie Collins is a perfect example. He goes to Cleveland. He's not that great of a player. He goes back to New England. He's a good player again. Uh, and now the Lions are just stuck with these players. What yeah. do you think this future is going to look like? I, well, kind of like I alluded to at top, I think it's bleak. I think it's not going to turn around right away. I think, you know, Lions fans look around and they see, you know, the Rams. They see the Browns maybe this year as, as a team, at teams that can just like turn it around in an instant, the, the Bears a couple of years ago were a team that turned that seemingly turned it around in an instant. But I don't see that here. I don't see I don't see a strength on this team right now. Like maybe it's on offense, but w- this team is also at risk of losing a lot of their their talent on offense this year. You know, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, all those guys could be gone after this year. Um, and and it wouldn't surprise me if they if they were. Hopefully not Kenny Galladay. We'll we'll see what happens there. But in you know, in, in terms of what future pieces does this team have? Maybe an offensive line. That's probably the most promising future aspect because now you got Taylor Decker, you know, wrapped up for a while. You've you've got uh, Frank Ragnow who's playing well. You've got Jonah Jackson who looks promising. Um, that that's a nice little core there. But elsewhere, I don't really see much else. Like all of these kind of young pieces that we're hoping to to bud into something bigger. You know, Tracy Walker has kind of hit a wall here. Will Harris looks like he's going to be a rotational piece for the rest of his career. And yes, it's still early with a lot of these guys. And maybe if you bring in the right coach, he can help coach him up. But, you know, you throw Vitae on, the, or not Vitae, you throw <clears throat> Jelani Tavai in there as well. Just a bunch of kind of young pieces that aren't taking the necessary steps to make this team well. And And you wonder, yeah, you're stuck with contracts like, Trey Flowers is a good football player. Is he a $90 million football player? No, because he's not that pass rushing type that can make those huge negative plays on your defense that can change a game. Trey Flowers is a great mediocre player, if that makes any sense. Like he's he can he can provide some pass rush. He's really good at defending the run. But in terms of game changing plays that this de- defense so desperately needs, he's not the guy that's going to give it to you. And so the lines are, are tied to that contract. They're tied to Vitae for a while. They're still probably tied to Jesse James for at least one more year. And so it's not a good situation for a, a new general manager to step in. And and like you said, there are a lot of players with a very specified um, role on defense, which might not work. And so the the best thing you can say is that the, they're, they're likely headed towards a top 10 pick. So that might, you know, result in something. I think I think Jeff Okuda will still be a good player despite his early struggles. So there's a couple of young, talented guys on this team, on the offensive line. Um, you still have Matthew Stafford for maybe another three or four years at his prime if you want him. Um, but otherwise, 
I think this is a I think this is truly a long term reclamation project, unlike when Matt Patricia came over. Yeah, I mean they're they're essentially building from the ground up again. And you you mentioned Kenny Galladay, and you know he doesn't have a deal yet. Uh, and if the the Lions decide to fire Bob Quinn, which is entirely possible early in the season, because if you need a new GM, you got to get rid of the one you have early on, because you cannot go into the GM search in January and also be looking for a head coach at the same time. Right. So there's a really strong chance that. Kenny doesn't get his deal done and Bob's gone and Kenny's a free agent and he's good. Does he want to stay? Does he want to stay with a new coach? Does he want to stay with a new GM? Does he want to go through an entirely new system again? I don't think so. And I think we're looking at the very, very strong possibility that Kenny Galladay is one of the best receivers in the league on another team as early as next year. It's certainly possible. I, I wouldn't put anything off the table at this point. Um, I, I am surprised they didn't get a deal done this offseason. Um, I think wide receiver is, is still somehow an underrated position in this league, even though they, they tend to get some some hefty paychecks. Um, Galladay, I don't know if, if I would necessarily consider him a top 10 wide receiver yet, but he certainly has the the capability of getting there. I think I think we're still seeing some of his limitations in terms of getting open, um, he's not exactly like the best of route runners. He's in a, a Devonte Adams type where he, he's getting wide open. He's he's physically dominating corners. He's really more of a point of catch guy, which you know has its value of its own, especially when you got a, a quarterback who can zip it in there like Matthew Stafford. But um, he's still, I think, a necessary piece of of this offense going forward. And th- I, I think you, you still, no matter what happens with Kenny Galladay, this team's going to be in the market for a wide receiver in twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's a it's a really scary situation uh, that Lions fans are, are going to be going through here pretty soon, it, it, and it looks like it's going to be something that's really going to be happening. So, all right, I want to get into our lightning round. So we're going to do that right after the break. Welcome back to Man Coverage. I am Mike Payton. I've got Jeremy Reisman today, our managing editor. Learning all kinds of new things about Jeremy today, and it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been great. Uh, but now we got to put him through our patented li- uh, lightning round. So everybody that's gone through has survived. It's ten questions. You know the drill, Jeremy. You've listened to the podcast. You know what what you're about to go through. Are you ready? Yeah, I feel like I got a leg up on all those other guys, so I'm I'm, I'm feeling good about it. That is true. You you already know. You probably have all your answers written down already. So uh, we might even throw in some extra questions. I don't know. We'll oh, okay. Uh, all right. So no, question number one, what are you watching right now? What are you streaming? What's on the Netflix? What's on the Hulu? What do you got? So I'm a pretty big comedy fan. And and so I kind of, I've become a comedy stab and that really comes out to play sometimes when I, when I talk about how the office was the fourth best show on NBC behind 30 rock community and, and parks and rock. All right. But, podcast over. Podcast <laughs> over. I love all those shows by the way, but uh, to, to answer your, your original question, uh, pen 15, a show on Hulu. And I know you watch it too. Um, really kind of fun, nostalgic, 
creative show where um, it's just about two uh, high school girls, except they're being played by, you know, late twenties <laughs> actresses um, playing essentially themselves when they were, you know, 15 years younger, really funny show. And then uh, Fargo just came back and Fargo, I think is a fantastic show. Um, the first three seasons were amazing. The great thing about it is that it's a new story every season. So you could jump in right now if you wanted uh, this one stars Chris Rock of all um, actors, which is really cool. Um, Jason Schwartzman is also in this uh, season. I've only caught the first two episodes so far, but um, off to a good start. And and really one, I think, one of the most underrated drama shows on, on TV right now. Yeah, I, I got I to come in and also say that Pen15 is, is amazing. Uh, you and I are about the same age. so And we're the same age as those girls are, too, the, the ladies that are on the, on the show. So everything yeah. that they're doing it, it, it is exactly what we saw. The, all the shirts, the, yeah. the clothes, the accessories, everything. The games that they're playing. They were playing like MASH the other day. I remember girls yeah. used to play that all the time. I mean, it, it, it's like reliving junior high all over again. There is no better nostalgia than their episode about instant a- AOL instant messenger. They have a whole episode <laughs> about aim yeah. and it's so good. It's just like, wow, that is a, 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 a portion of my life that I had kind of forgotten about, but like was such a huge, like social networking piece of, of, of growing up. And it, it was really good. I spent so much time on that thing. And I yeah. think, I think that uh, we have all catfished people in our <laughs> lives. We just don't realize that. I mean, I, I was like 15 years old and I was in the adult, you know, men seeking women uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> section, you know, like, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a very experienced businessman <laughs> and I make lots of business money. It goes back to our imposter <laughs> and, uh, syndrome yeah. right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. See, that's where it all started. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, uh, who's your favorite football player ever? It's Barry Sanders. It's it's not particularly close. Um, he's a guy that, like I said, I, I grew up idolizing. I, I kind of in, envisioned myself as him. And um, the, the kind of humility that he showed on the field also was a huge factor of me. You know, you got your guys like like Deion Sanders being all boisterous and crazy. And, and yeah, that's fun at times. But the, there's a certain respect I have for people who just like go about the game don't aren't aren't particularly flashy and 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 are still really really freaking good at the game. So Barry Sanders, if I had to you know pick a close second, I really liked the the short stint that DeAndre Levy had with the Lions. Also a guy that I that I really respected off the field. So um, those are probably my one and two. And you own their jerseys, don't you? At one point, I've owned both their jerseys. Yes. And then what happened to them? I don't know where my Barry Sanders jersey is. I don't. It, I kind of feel like. <laughs> no, I mean, biggest, what happened to the players? No, we're we're not talking about that. There's no jersey curse. No jersey curse. That's all fake news. Fake news. All right. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. Uh, all right. Uh, Backstreet Boys are in sync. In sync, and and purely just because of Justin Timberlake. Like, yeah. You put you put Justin Timberlake on the Backstreet Boys. It's Backstreet Boys. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's for me, it's not even close. I don't think that anybody is going to say Backstreet Boys at all season. I don't, I don't expect it to happen. Well, actually, never mind. Burkett said Backstreet Burkett, Boys last year. He did, but he, he said it out, of, alter- out of ignorance. No offense, <laughs> Dave, but no you said it out of ignorance. He was like, uh, oh, uh, uh, Backstreet's back tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, Dave. Sure thing. I love, I love Dave. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, so we've got uh, next question here is, is going to be an easy one uh, because we see the little guy running around back there all the time. Dogs or cats? Yeah, it's it's dogs. I've I've been allergic to cats for a long time, um, so I'm sure that plays into it a little bit. But to me, I when when I'm looking for a little furry companion, I want a guy that's a little more interactive, a little more active than a guy that's just basically a, a piece of furniture in a cat. No offense, cat owners. Even though I I very much just offended you. No offense intended. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what's your favorite movie? Um, man, I, I knew this question was coming and I, I still always struggle with it. The, the movie that I think is most underrated that I enjoy. And, and if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably heard me talk about it a lot is Wee's big adventure. And I know you guys are all probably like, what are you talking about? Actually like a really sharp comedy movie that, that I know Wee's like a, a joke in a kid's movie, but like that, that movie one was directed by Tim Burton. And I think it was written by Phil Hartman. So we're talking about two very respected people in their uh, in their respective uh, careers. So I think that's a really good movie. If we're talking about like maybe more serious like film, if we're talking about film instead of movies, yes, we're talking about uh, a film. Here. Uh, I really like her. Her's one of my favorite modern day movies. I really like anything that Edgar Wright does. So Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World are, are both really... And again, those are kind of more on the fun side of the spectrum than maybe a serious movie. But if we're going serious movie, go like her. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. Maybe There Will Be Blood or something like that because I think I think Paul Thomas Anderson's a, a genius and, and really good oh, yeah. at character work. Not to mention um, the acting jobs in, in that movie is amazing. But... Um, I tend to lean towards funny and fun. So um, yeah, let's go with, with, we'll go with, we'll go with the three way here. We'll go with her. We'll go with Pee Wee's big adventure. And let's say, let's say baby driver is, is number three there. Okay. I'll accept those. I'll, I'll accept all three of those. They're all great movies. Uh, Pee Wee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really like Tim Burton. I, I'm, I'm some, somewhat of a film snob okay. and, and I can't stand anything that Tim Burton does outside of Batman. And you know Edward Scissorhands is is okay too. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. It's time for your your situation here. Let me see what I'm going to do with you today. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, <clears throat> let's say okay. I want you to walk me down the field on this one. I'm going to put you on in the shadow of your own goalpost. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got 45 seconds left in the game. Down six. All right. Yikes. You have a timeout. Okay. And you have, let's see, I got to give you your quarterback here. Stony Case. <laughs> Stony Case and the rest uh, and the rest of the 2000 Detroit Lions. What are you going to do to win that game? Listen, I came in to this question knowing it was coming. Obviously, I didn't know the situation. I had my answer already completely independent of what the situation is, so I'm going to (laughs) stick by it. I love me some wheel route. It's my favorite play in the book. You you take your running back. you, You slip him out of the backfield. You have him essentially run a fly. Give me a wheel route up the right sideline. That way he gets out of bounds. That way he gains 40 yards. I don't know who he's throwing to, James Stewart or something. I don't know who's on that team. But give yeah, me the, the the wheel route. Let's see. Uh, the yeah, it would have been, I believe, James Stewart. Yes. Boom. 
wheel route to James Stewart. We got 40 yard. We get a nice 40 yard chunk there. He's, he's not, not necessarily the most athletic running back to necessarily run a wheel route and maybe beat a linebacker in coverage. And, and maybe it takes a little bit long to develop from your own end zone, but I'm sticking with it. Wheel route. We get, we get about 40 yards in about 10 seconds there. Maybe take a couple shots to win the game later. You th- you sure you sure that they could pull that off forty yards, huh? The the two thousand Lions. Listen, <laughs> we're, you're talking about a ninety yard drive touchdown drive in less than a minute with one timeout. You you got to take some crazy shots here, and so wheel route is my choice. Okay, well, I mean you have Herman Moore, you got Johnny Moore, and you have David Sloan, uh, and That's you're what, going that- with a wheel route. They'll never expect it. James Stewart. They'll never expect it. It's like I'm talking to Matt Patricia right now. (laughs) It's 45 seconds left, and you're going to run it up the middle. I'm stubborn, too. I love myself a wheel route. (laughs) All right. Uh, So if you could be a pro athlete, what sport would you play? I think think it'd be tennis. Consider in this world that you could be whatever size you want to be and whatever (laughs) – you know, whatever I mean, I, I, I would have a ton of fun playing football if I was good at it, but in terms of like the long-term, you know, effects it has on, on my body in terms of the short-term effects it has on my body, it, it, it it's not for me. It, I'm glad I never went for that dream as hard as I probably could have. Uh, I think tennis is, is a fun game. And again, the, the shelf life is a little bit shorter than maybe you'd want. And it's, it's horrible on your knees, but um, it's it, it's something that I was I got pretty good at during high school. It's it's a fun game. It's, it's one that I want to continue to do to kind of keep myself active. It'll it's obviously great cardio, and I don't know. It's just a sport that I I think is is really fun, kind of underrated, underappreciated um, in terms of the the athleticism you need to play it, both in terms of strength and speed and agility and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and and it's. I've always kind of I, I like team games, but I, I'm really hard on myself sometimes. So I feel like I don't want that negative energy in a team in a team setting. So if I'm in this individual sport, the only person I got to blame is myself. And I, I feel like I'm a good motivator for myself, too. So I like kind of that individual aspect of it. And uh, and, and and I'm super competitive. So I, I, I love the game of tennis. All right. Uh, that's interesting. So Reisman versus Federer would be a, a matchup yeah. in this alternate universe. Okay. All right. I got a bonus question for you. It's uh, it's October. So we got to do some sort of Halloween thing here. <laughs> uh, sure. What's what, uh, what was your favorite Halloween costume growing up? I was, I was a pretty shy kid. And so I actually didn't really like Halloween a lot. Because I don't know, I didn't like drawing extra attention to myself. So there were a lot of years in which I was just like, uh, let me just throw on my Barry Sanders jersey and I'm Barry Sanders. And that's literally it. I remember at one point I was I, I think I was supposed to be Blanca from Street Street Fighter. And and my buddy was some other character from Street Fighter, but I backed out at the last minute. I was like, No, I can't do this, this is too embarrassing. But oh my uh gosh. I've I've started to accept it a little bit more as I've grown older. <laughs> my my best costume was probably this very obscure character played by Nick Kroll called Fabrice Fabrice. And if you're Facebook friends with me, you might have seen the picture and it looks very strange. Uh, but it, I had a lot of fun with that one. From the Kroll show or? 
He, it was on the Kroll show. I think it originated yeah. as a character in this podcast called Comedy Bang Bang. Uh, also a TV show okay. called Comedy yes. Bang Bang. But yeah, he also did play it on, on the Kroll show. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, that's okay. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was that's for for me. Uh, I I I used to get creative. I was uh, '70s Bill Clinton, <laughs> so I, I bought a, a Bill Clinton mask and I had like uh, uh, bell bottoms on and stuff. Nice. And uh, yeah, yeah, you went for it. And I, I like it. A, 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 I bought a long wig, so <laughs> I bought what I thought what he would look like in the '70s, and that was like that was like 1995. Like, wow. Teachers were like, what's, what's wrong with this kid? How, why, how does he do this? How did he come up with this? And I don't, I couldn't tell you. I, I don't know. It just seemed funny to me. Uh, what's your go-to pizza toppings? I've been really on a kind of spicy kick. So I've been doing a lot of pepperoni and jalapeno, like kind of doubling up the jalapeno. And if you can go with like maybe a butter cheese crust as well to kind of Okay. Mild that out a little bit. I'm totally into that. But I also need to get in here since there's been so much slander on this podcast for three weeks. Pineapple, Don't do, it. do it. Do it. Do it. Oh God. If if I, I oh. that's also a great like you throw in some pineapple with that jalapeno. It's a nice like little cooling off. It's totally fine, guys. Do what you want. Live your life how you want. Pineapple's no, fine don't. on pizza. You don't put fruit on pizza. It's ridiculous. Tomato the fruit. Yeah, got him, man. That doesn't really count. Got him. <laughs> doesn't really count. All right, whatever, whatever, whatever. All right, Nike or Adidas? Uh, I'll go with Nike here, but I'm probably the least fashionable per- fashionable person you know. I I shop for shoes at Discount Shoe Warehouse, and I have no shame in that. I'm I'm anything but a sneakerhead. Um, what, what probably... do you got on right now? What <laughs> some like New Balance? I have I have old white person oh. shoes. I have some white New Balances. Oh. You got on the air, all lives matter. <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> Listen, I just, all I right. like, I like a plain white sneaker. Does that make me okay. 80, year, 80 years old and, and living in a gated community? Probably. I'm sorry. Probably. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So you know what's coming, man. This is it. This is a big question right here. Yep. This is, this is going to, this is it, man. This is going to determine <laughs> a lot of things. I might quit. Depending on how you answer. All right. Our quarterback wins real. They're not. But they are unfortunately important in today's society to people. Um, In terms of Hall of Fame voting, in terms of Pro Bowl voting, in terms of all pro voting, all that stuff does matter to the, the, the discourse of football. And, and in a lot of cases, we're pro- like you and me are probably guilty of, of giving too much credit to quarterbacks when they went like if, if we're going to give Matthew Stafford, which I think is kind of obviously at the heart of a lot of this, these conversations, if we're going to give him all those credit for the fourth quarter comebacks in 2016 and even a little bit this year, well, then you have to admit there's at least a little bit of value to quarterback wins, right? I mean, I, I suppose so. Uh, but at the same time, it's, you know, he's throwing it to somebody. <laughs> you know? Sure. He's, he, Right. He's not throwing I mean, it to himself. The DeAndre Swift example is the perfect example. He throws a perfect pass that should have won yeah. the game. They didn't win the game, not because of Stafford. And so, like, yeah, on a basic level, quarterback wins doesn't matter. But obviously, better quarterbacks win more often. And and quarterbacks are obviously the most important player on the field. I, I say it a lot. I don't think a, a normal team 
loses more than nine games with Matthew Stafford playing healthy for, for 16 games. And part, and, and part of me saying that is admitting that he is worth a certain amount of wins. And so is, is a quarterback wins an end all be all stat? No, I think there's about a billion more st- statistical measures to show the value of a quarterback. Um, but does a quarterback attribute to a team's wins more than any other player on the field? Of course he does. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's, I, I think that's fair. I, I think that, you know, um, there's a certain level of, of, of clutchness that you have to have as a quarterback. As you know, when we talk about that 2016 team, you know, Matthew Stafford was making great throws and he was uh, doing a lot to help the team win. But again, um, I just, I just think that it's, it's so many people on a football team. Yeah. Uh, And, and it's really weird to me that quarterback wins weren't a real thing in rocket football. They weren't a real thing in junior high. They weren't a real thing in high school and they kind of weren't really a real thing in college, but in the pros, it's like, it's the only thing that matters. I think a lot of that has to do with, with the media and just sort of the way that we have always been brought up in football is, and, and man, I just think it ruins so many, it ruins so many quarterbacks. It, Dan Marino was an amazing quarterback. He doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. He doesn't have a Super Bowl win. So we always look at him like, hey, well, he wasn't that great because he never won a Super Bowl. Right. Well, the team, the, he never had a good enough team to go win a Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, he went to the, the Super Bowl early in his, in his rookie year. He went. Yeah. Um, that it, that to me bothers out. me more. Like the, the whole Super yeah. Bowl rings. Like you're, you're, if we're, if we're ranking quarterbacks, like it has to be by Super Bowl rings. I hate that more than anything because one, we're talking about a single elimination playoff field where, you know, you have one off day and maybe not, maybe it's not even you. Maybe it's your defense has one off day and suddenly you're out of it. Eli Manning has won two Super Bowl rings and he's not in the top 30 quarterbacks of all time conversation and he shouldn't be. And he'll probably eventually make the Hall of Fame because of it. But that, that again shows you like why a lot of this doesn't make any sense is because we we're we're giving team accomplishments to quarterbacks and, and and like I said, still quarterbacks have the biggest impact on on team. And Eli did play well in in both Super Bowls, and and that's why he got MVPs in those games. But overall, like the Giants didn't win those Super Bowls because of Eli Manning; they won them because of their defense. And and Eli was just kind of along for the ride. So definitely, definitely have no respect for Super Bowl wins as a measure of, of quality of of quarterback. And I know if if there's somehow any well, there's probably a lot of Brady fans listening since he went to Michigan. They might object to that fact, but um, we'll we'll see how he does in Tampa. Uh, real quick, I just want to you know kind of get in this point again because I, I said I said it to Burkett last week, and I'm going to say it again to you, and I want to see what kind of what you think about it because I look at I look at quarterback wins as the, the perception, and I see it ruining people's careers. Because that, let's look at Sam Darnold, for example. Um, I think Sam's a fine quarterback. He's not, he's not incredible or anything like that. I think, he's, I think he's a pretty good quarterback. He plays on a horrible team. The worst team in the league. No doubt about it. I think that's stipulated. They're the worst team in the league. Um, eventually, when it comes time to re-up Sam Darnold, the Jets probably won't do it. They'll probably let him walk. He's not going to get the payday because his team sucks. And it's all and the perception is that it's all because of him. 
And if he goes and gets another gig, much like Ryan Tannehill, who was really, you know, is, is a decent quarterback. The Dolphins were really bad. Yeah. He, he went to a different team. He immediately got sat on the bench. And when he, he got a chance, he showed that, hey, he's a pretty good quarterback. If you, if you get him in the right system and if you get him, if you give him a chance, um, if you look past the, the idea that, uh, that he lost a lot, you know, in, in Miami and just like Darnold again. And I just think that, uh, maybe we're, we're, we're ruining some quarterbacks that could be good in the future on a different situation because we look at that win column and attribute wins and losses only to them. Do you, do you agree? Do you think that that's ruining potential Um, futures? Maybe the, I do think where a quarterback lands is critical to how they're perceived. Um, I mean, all you really have to do is look at Stafford compared to Mark Sanchez, right? Like think about how those careers started drafted in the same year. Mark Sanchez goes to a jets team that that's pretty good. Obviously Stafford goes to a, 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 the worst, one of the worst teams in NFL history. Um, the first three or four years of his career, Mark Sanchez gets to, you know, an AFC championship game, wins a couple playoff games. The common conception at that, the common perception at that point is that he's a better quarterback than Matthew Stafford. Right? Like he's got more wins. He's and and yes, he wasn't throwing the ball a ton. They were running the ball a lot and, and that defense was really good. But the perception there was like he's a winner, Matthew Stafford isn't. But if you give like time enough to play out and and your quarterback to to get good and go get past those first rookie seasons, they should be enough. If if they're good enough, they should be enough to bring your team to rele- relevancy. And I think that's what happened in Detroit. Like that defense really didn't get get good until 2003, 2000, or 2013, 2014. The only reason this this Lions team was any good from 2009 to 2010 to the the first time they make the playoffs in 2011 was Matthew Stafford. And so you, there has to be a certain level of transcendence for greatness. Um, to really make it in a bad situation. So I think there might be some mediocre quarterbacks that go to a bad team that never make it, that their careers are kind of ruined because they're put in tough situations. But the really good to great quarterbacks, they're going to make themselves known regardless of their surroundings. Okay, yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I, I get what you're saying, you know, and uh, Stafford is a pretty good example of that as well. Um, yeah, okay. All right. Good talk. Good talk. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Jeremy, I, I want to thank you for carving out some, some time from your schedule. I know you're a busy man. I know for certain that you're a busy man. I, uh, and uh, do, you, do you have anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Do, does Pride Detroit have anything to plug right now? Uh, I mean, obviously all the Pride Detroit stuff I should, I should know, this. know about. Um, I guess the one thing I'll, I'll plug that's kind of semi-independent of, of Pride of Detroit is, is Super Squares. Um, it's this game that I've been co-hosting during Lions games. So there's a live stream of me talking during Lions games with my good friend, John Blevins, um, while we play Super Squares, which is like a squares game that you play in the Super Bowl. You also answer some trivia questions about the game and some advertisements on the app. You download the app, you play for free, you can win a ton of money. I literally last night during the Monday night football game won $800 for the Pro Football Hall of Fame shop for, and, and for free. I didn't have to pay anything. I just played along, won $800. So go to supersquares.com to read more about it. If you have any questions about it, hit me up on Twitter at Detroit online. I'll, I'll welcome you to, to, to show how to, to, uh, to play and, or you can just watch super twitch.tv slash super They do all the nationally televised games. So Monday night, 
Thursday night, Sunday night, and all the Lions games too. So join us there. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, I like to join in and, and give my football analysis while I'm playing. So um, head over there. Try to try to enjoy yourself. The the really cool thing too is like we're starting to get some really big NFL guests. Like we just talked to um I'm I'm losing his name, the kicker, Morton Anderson. We just talked to Morton Anderson who talked who had amazing stories. Yeah, we, we talked to him right before the Lions games. We've got some really Lions relevant guests line up, and you're not going to want to miss them. Maybe a Lions player that we mentioned earlier in this podcast, who I won't say, but I'm just saying be on the lookout. Stony case? <laughs> Twitch.tv oh slash you're gonna good. have to find out. <laughs> Stony case, that's a get, man. That is a big get. All right. Uh yeah, go check that out, guys. I mean, free money. Who doesn't yeah. want that? And you get to have fun and watch football and and uh yeah, why not check that out? All right. Well, again, just want to thank you for coming on. If you uh are on the Twitter. Go look for Jeremy at Detroit Online. You can find me at POD underscore Peyton. Of course, follow us on uh, Pride of Detroit. And you can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can get your fine podcasts. So uh, give us a listen. Give us some feedback as well. We'd love some feedback. I, I personally would love some. I know some people on Twitter have given me some, and uh, I really appreciate that. So. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.